Harry Potter and the Dark Arts. An apt title to episode four. Um, so why am I choosing a random title for this episode? Especially Harry Potter. Um, for those of you who don't know who he is, uh, you've obviously been living under some kind of rock. Uh, so it's either a movie or it's a book, whichever you fancy. It's both. But some people have watched the movie, some people have read the books, some people have done both. To explain what the dark arts are, it's a class that Harry Potter, who is a wizard, has to take. And it's where he deals with his innermost demons. And I kind of use this analogy myself because the demons I'm talking about aren't spells. They aren't potions. They are things that we always try to hide from ourselves and protect ourselves from. It's anxiety. It's grief. It's addiction. It's suicide. It's all the bad things in our life that we try to always hide ourselves from, but inevitably, at some point, we'll face. Now, I'm 28 years old and I've kind of dealt with a lot of that. Um, and I, when I talk, and I actually, it's weirdly enough, it comes up in a lot of the questions that I ask when I put on uh, on the Instagram page. It's, Tommy, how do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with depression? And I could just do a quick whitewash over and go, guys, you deal with this way, you deal with that way. Never really telling you exactly how I coped with it, how it festered and how I'm still dealing with it. I could, I can brush it over. I can say, oh yeah, listen guys, I suffered with depression. But unless you know the reasons why, unless you know and understand where it's coming from, it's it, it's hard to kind of go, I'm basically like every other person telling you how to deal with it. This is what happened to me. This is what resulted at, um, this is what became a result of it. And this is how I'm coping with it at the minute. So my dark arts were, started off with grief, led to anxiety, which led to depression, which led to ultimately trying to take my own life. Um, it's a weird topic to talk about because when me and my friend Graham, we do school talks, we bring we go into kids in TY and we kind of, Graham comes from an addiction point of view, I come from a grief point of view. And when we kind of, we do it willy-nilly to, to the point where they don't fully know what our story is, but then I go, listen, I try to kill myself. And then Graham goes, listen, I was an addict. And uh, their kind of jaws drop. Because if you know, you never know what someone's gone through. And if you tell someone, oh, Jesus, at some point I tried to kill myself because I didn't see any other way out. Uh, it's hard for them to grasp it because up until that point, they might view as someone that's kind of carefree, willy nilly, that nothing seems to kind of affect. But as we all know, we are humans, we have emotions and those emotions get the better of us. So I'm going to start you off with how my story began from from grief to ultimately trying to kill myself and then the tools I used to get over it um, and I still use to help me cope. Um, now it's not a victim post and I want to make this very clear uh, even with the posts I put up on my own trifactor page or whatever these are not victim posts because I never feel the victim of anything. These things happen, they happen to happen sooner in my life than later it's going to happen to everybody else. We're not a victim of these things. We are just experiencing one of life's hiccups that we all have to experience. So never take the victim mentality because I've seen what the victim mentality is like out of grief and I don't like it. And I would have never, ever described myself as a victim of whatever happened to me. I got to where I was and then I learned how to cope with it. I, wouldn't, I don't want to be a victim of it because as soon as you're a victim of it, it controls you 
rather than you controlling it. And I always talk about owning yourself. You need to own your future. You need to own your actions. You need to own your experiences. If you don't own your experiences, you're a victim to them. And then they will inevitably get a hold of you and get the better of you. So I want to start this off with how the grief process started for me. So um, I come from a family of um, of four four kids and two parents. Um, our parents essentially split up. So my parents split up when I was young, so around 16. And up until that point, me and my younger brother were best friends. Like we're, 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 we were best friends uh, before it happened. And after the breakup happened, we even became closer where we were inseparable. Uh, my brother's name was Christopher. And Christopher always relied on me and I always relied on him. And when I spoke about family, I'd always speak about Chris because no matter what happened with my parents or my older sister or my older brother and the troubles that they had, me and my brother, younger brother, always, uh, always stuck together. Um, and I loved him to the moon and back. I would do anything for Chris and Chris would have done anything for me. On the, on Stevens's night, um, 2015, I was home. I stayed at home. Chris was living with me in the house. It was me, um, couple of my best mates living in a house and Chris was living with it. It was a family house. My family rented out to me um, as they, because they kind of split up so we're living in other places. So it was me and my roommates were living there and Chris, who was home for college. And Chris was 19 at the time. And as I said, it was Stevens's night. I had worked the next day, so I didn't go into work. Um, I did, sorry, I didn't go out. I didn't go out in the beer because uh, if I did, I would have never made it into work. And I, I was a spinning instructor at the time. And you can only imagine the smell off you, your farts, all the nasty things when you're sweating on a swing, uh, spin bike hungover. And then on top of that, trying to teach people to spin or trying to instruct people to push themselves when you have Guinness farts coming left, right and centre out of you. So anyway, that night, Christopher went out with his friends and me and my roommates were all out. None of us went out in the beer. We all just got an early night and... Um, I hear Christopher opened the door at half twelve. So I'm like, oh, Jesus, he's an early. Didn't think anything of it. About five o'clock that morning, I hear a knock on my bedroom door and it's Christopher. And he comes in and he's wheezing and he's like, Tommy, have you got an inhaler? I need to take a blast of it. Mine's not working. And that's natural for me and Chris to do because one of us always had a full inhaler. And if it wasn't him knocking on my door, I'd be knocking on his looking for a blast of it. Now, we're super careless with inhalers. We usually lose them. So it's one of us would have them and then the other person would be dependent on the other person. It, if you know me, you know how careless I am and how much I lose inhalers. Um, so I gave him a blast of my inhaler and he went back to bed. And I thought, listen, that's grand. If I was in the same situation, it's a blast of inhaler. We're usually okay after that. Think no more of it. Half an hour later, Christopher comes back in. He goes, Tommy, it's not working. It's not working. What do I do? Um... I was like, Chris, just relax, mate. Take take more blasts and it should be fine. At this point, he was getting further out of breath. And if you if if um if you know if you've ever seen an asthma atta- asthma attack or you know what it's like, it's like you're trying to catch your breath that's never there. So it's getting into that phase, but you can never fully catch your breath. It's 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 a horrible experience to go through. Um and I wouldn't recommend anyone having it, but if you have asthma, you know what I'm talking about. Um Eventually got to the point where I had to wake my roommates up because we had to bring Christopher to the care doc. He wasn't getting any better. But again, a care doc trip, a nebulizer, and you're fine. I didn't think anything of it. So 
I told Chris to go into his room and get changed because he was in his boxers. And I was like, Chris, run into your room, get changed. We'll bring you to the car dock. I woke up my roommates and one of them was getting the car to drop us down. And Chris shouts into me and he's like, Tommy, Tommy, I can't get dressed. And I go and I walk into his uh, bedroom and he's hunched over with a pair of shorts on the ground trying to put them on. So as I go over to him and I put on his shorts and as I'm putting on his shorts, he collapses and he collapses right into my arms and he, his eyes start rolling and I start panicking. I've never experienced anything. I'm even getting goosebumps now. I've never experienced anything like that. I'm flustered. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm shouting at the lads. I'm like, lads, ring 911, ring 911. And I start giving him CPR because he stops breathing. His eyes are rolling, he stops breathing. And I'm like, no, 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 please don't, please don't, please don't. So I'm starting giving him CPR. I'm shouting at the lads, shouting at the lads. Uh, they're like, have you got a defibrillator? Have you got a defibrillator? So I send the lads to run down to the guard station and they're, they're sprinting down. They get down there so quick. And by the time they're coming back up, I've given Chris CPR and he starts getting sick. And in my head, I'm like, yes, yes, he's getting sick. He's, I'm helping him, I'm helping him. He was dying. And that was kind of his last, last gasp. And... The guards, uh, the lads come up with the defibrillator and the guards are with him and they basically just kick me out of the way and like, right, listen, we'll handle this, we'll handle this. And I'm flustered and I'm walking, pacing down. I'm like, Chris, please, please survive, please survive. And the care doc comes half an hour, late, half an hour later and they pronounce him. He's, he's dead. My best friend, my only real family at the time was dead. And um, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I start punching every single wall, uh, every single wall in my house. I get through three plasterboards and then I punch a concrete wall that fights back and it breaks my two knuckles and it fractures my wrist. And I didn't feel it. Couldn't feel anything. I was so numb. I was so numb at that time. And it was so weird because I was dependent on Chris for so much because Chris was my boy that I didn't know who to talk to. So I inevitably ran my ex-girlfriend at the time and I was like, listen... I, I don't know what to do. You're the only person I can really talk to. I can help me because I didn't know I didn't know how to cope. And she arrives, and the ambulance arrives to take Christopher away. And I couldn't even go in the ambulance because I had to go to the, the had to go to Vincent's myself because I'd broken two knuckles and my wrist was fractured. And I started to feel it at that point. Um. And yeah, my brother was died. Stevens's day, two thousand and fifteen, and that kind of moment lives with me because it's so vivid in my in my memory that you've lost something so special to you that's so hard to to kind of um to forget and and especially cuz it was in my arms the the vision never leaves you and it's a blessing and it's not a blessing as in I li- I'm so happy I was the one there because we were each other's best mates but the negative is sometimes when you try to sleep at night that's what comes into your head but I'd rather have that thought than not have that thought in a sick way. Um, so I grieved. I tried to start back into work. I could never really pl- put my roots down since then. So six months later, I decided to take, within a week, on I think it was on a Saturday, I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go to Australia. And on the Friday, I was on a plane. And just didn't think anything of it, just got on a plane um, one of my best mates organised Tommy who was over in Australia he organised it and that was grand I was on a plane I was gone I was kind of running away from my troubles and your troubles will always catch back up on you so at this point I 
I I thought the, I just suddenly thought the grieving process was over. I thought, all right, I'm coping now. Maybe this I'm maybe adapting to life after Chris. And um, in Australia, I started getting anxiety attacks, and I've never had an anxiety attack before. And it just hit me one night when we're all lying in bed. I knocked on Tommy's because I was living with Tommy at the time. I knocked on his door and I was like, "Tommy, Tommy, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. My heart's pumping hundred miles an hour. Uh, I get a headache. I'm all lightheaded. I think I'm gonna faint. I, I honestly think I'm gonna die. I'm like, what happened to Chris is happening to me. What happened to Chris is happening to me now. Yeah, please bring me to the doctors. And they were like, "Tommy, you're fine. Don't overreact. Don't overreact. But in your head, you can't think like that when you have a panic attack. The world is crumbling." walls are shutting off and you're like this is it I'm dying I'm dying I'm exactly what happened to my brother is happening to me all of a sudden Chris who had asthma the same thing is happening to him is happening to me I've got asthma this is it this is my I'm dying right now they dropped me to the doctors and the hospital I'm sitting in there three hours later they told listen it was an anxiety attack you've got anxiety it's PTSD it's natural Um, you'll be fine so I remember just walking out the doors of a sunny day because it was that night. So it was that morning in Australia. I opened the doors. I remember like, what an idiot. Look what I've done. Look, 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 look what I've made my mates do. Get up in the middle of the night. They've got work the next day. I made them get up in the middle of the night to drop me to a hospital. Um, I'm so foolish. And then that happened another time again. Same thing again. Had to get them up in the middle of the night. I think I'm dying. I think I'm dying. And it's an anxiety attack again. But in your head, you feel like you're dying. And it's important to note at this point that every time I didn't have my inhaler in my hand, I'd it's like a placebo effect. I'd automatically get asthmatic because I knew if I didn't have my inhaler in my hand, I'm going to end up like Chris. And even when it, like Chris used to get blocked noses, and when Chris would have a blocked nose, I, I didn't know if, when he when he died, did he have a blocked nose? So, so when I get a blocked nose, I can't sleep because I panic. I'll put my, my nose underneath the, the tap. I'll do whatever it is to get rid of my blocked nose. I used to get addicted to those Evo inhalers, those sniffy inhalers, just because I never wanted a blocked nose. Um, but yeah, so my anxiety attacks sooner or later. I started having them again, but I just didn't tell anybody. I was like, right, I'm going to ride the wave of this anxiety attack. And I'm glad I did. Because it taught me how to deal with them. It gave me the tools to learn how to deal with anxiety attacks. So when I can feel an anxiety attack coming five minutes before it comes. I can feel it. So what I automatically do in my head is I go, right, well, I know this is coming. I need something to distract me. Whether it's TV, whether it's the PlayStation, whether it's talking to someone. I need to grab my thought process from internal and I need to put it in the external. And it's only through trying to being quiet about it that I learn how to deal with my anxiety attacks so I don't bother anybody else. And I know everyone's out there is going to go, oh, I'm always there for you. I'm always there for you. But you need to deal with these things yourselves. It's 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 so, it's a, a thing you need to learn. And the best way to do it is look up cognitive behavior therapy. It's very good. It just goes through breaths. It goes through what you should do. Mine's external. I just need to take my myself out of my head and throw it into something else. That's how I deal with my anxiety attacks. Never really led to depression where if I was going a night out in Australia, the next day I was gone, despite the hangover, it wasn't a hangover, it was just a feeling of, of hating myself. And my roommate always used to say it, Tommy, he used to like, Tommy, you take hangovers really bad. It's because I was depressed and I'd stay in bed. Sometimes when they were working, I'd stay in bed all day and I'd watch a series, like 24 episodes in a series because I was depressed. And I just, I kept trying to force myself to do things, but I couldn't. It's like, it's like 
your heart's telling you one thing, but your body's telling you nothing, the opposite. It's like you should move, you should move, you should move, but your body can't move. And then you hate yourself for not moving. But then you're trying to justify why you're not moving. And it's it's a it's it's a horrible thing. And it's something that once you're in it, it's like I, I, I use the analogy of getting smothered with pillows. It's like I used to lie in the bed watching the TV or watching my laptop. And it's like my body seeped into the into the mattress and the covers just just molded around me and covered me. And that's my thought process. And then I'd always remember if, as soon as I'd see come, someone or hear someone come in, I'd get up and I was like, oh, I did something for the day. Oh, I went to work. Um, But I didn't. I was just on my arse feeling this way. But as soon as I kind of started dealing with the anxiety, the depression kind of kind of wasn't wasn't as severe. I started getting over the anxiety. So I started getting over the depression. I thought that was it. That was done, dusted. That's That's what I needed to deal with. I eventually had to do my regional work to get my second year. So I headed off down south about 200, 200 kilometres, 250 kilometres away from uh, Perth, right down in Dunsborough and Bustleton. And I got a room with this lovely couple, Steph and John, and they were so nice. Rent was super cheap. They looked after me like I was one of their own and it was a really nice environment. But something wasn't right. And on the 12th of September 2016, I was sitting on the beach in uh, in Bustleton, looking out at the world's longest uh, pier or second longest pier. And it was Christopher's birthday. And if you've ever been in a sauna, imagine being in a sauna and the door's locked. And the only way out is if you kill yourself. That's what I thought. I, could, I can't deal with these emotions. My only way out and the depression and the anxiety leading up to it. And it was on that day. The only way I can get out of this is if I just take my own life and I can be with Chris. And I'm no longer bothering anybody with my anxiety attacks. I don't have to face anybody. I don't have to worry about all these external things. If I just get rid of myself and I just take all these thought processes out of my head. I'm one less problem for everybody else. I'm one less problem for myself and I'll be in a weird way reunited with Chris so I burst into tears I walked up the pier I went behind uh, um, a cabin kind of thing up in the bottom of the pier I made sure no one was there and at this point the water is deeper than anyone can imagine no one was there the time of day it was it was completely empty there's a couple of people walking up and down but I was easily hid and I was going to throw myself in and I can't swim I can't tread water, I can't swim. I was looking at things and I was going to, and people were, I was getting messages on my phone and I was like, fuck off, everyone fuck off, everyone fuck off, everyone leave me alone, I don't want to do it, this is it, this is my time, this is my time, this is my time. And I was, and I was fully aware, I was crying, I was sobbing and I had my hands on the side of the pier and I was looking straight into it and I, I was launching off it and I got two missed calls or two missed texts off Stephanie and she knew what day it was. She knew it was my brother's birthday. So she, she was just checking me. She was giving me, she had dinner made. She was texting me. She's like, Tom, her dinner's ready. Dinner's ready. And I, and I can't. And I was like, I didn't answer. didn't answer. And she rang me and she goes, Tommy, are you okay? I was like, no. And I went back. And the only process, as soon as I said no, I didn't explain to her what was going on. But I just, no, I, I, I'll be there. It's just kind of a, a weird scenario. I'll be there in half an hour. I was like, I blurted out on the phone and I hung up. And... All I could think of was how would she feel if she realised that I'd killed myself and she was practically looking after me down there. Would she feel that it was her fault? And I felt a wave of, of sadness for her 
as in she was like she, that she would maybe take a blame for it. and it was nothing to do with her she was amazing and I just didn't want her to feel bad about my debt so I didn't and I can remember coming home that day at dinner I was zoned out and I went and I cried in my room for the night and I didn't go into work the next day and I just cried and I cried and it was a, you know, yeah, it was a Sunday so I didn't have to go into work and I just spent the whole day just thinking about things and the way I said it to myself was, Tommy, you can do this. And if worse comes to the worst, you can kill yourself. So no matter how hard life gets, worse comes to the worst, you can kill yourself. So why not give it everything for Chris? Why not just try your hardest for Chris? Because at the end of the day, you can just kill yourself. And there's a weird comfort in that because you can push yourself to the limits. And you and it's, it was so reassuring because if it doesn't work out, Tommy, and you get back in that, you can you can try that again but why not try everything else before you come to that point and it was a wave of comfort over me and when I kind of acknowledged that that you've nothing to lose so why not just try I automatically started feeling better and really enough I got the tattoo on my arm then it was a, a thought process when I thought of Chris was do not go gentle into that good night Rage, Rage Against the Dying of Delight. It's a poem by Dylan Thomas. But it resonated with me so much because I was like, why not just go at everything? And if you feel like that way again, Tommy, you've got that option. But but try everything beforehand. And I came home from Australia and I started getting into a job that I loved. I started getting into a career that I loved. And things started to looking up. Now, there's times where I get depressed again and there's times where I'll suffer an anxiety attack. But through my anxiety attack... I, I feel better because I know it's coming and I know how to deal with it. Through depression, I know how what it feels like to be in the depths. And I like, it is not permanent. Nothing is permanent. And through kind of trying to kill yourself, you're like, that is the end result. People die every day. Christopher died when he was young. Why not live and try everything before I get put to that point? Because that point's always going to be there. And if all else fails, it's there. And there's a comfort in knowing that, but you've got the option of doing everything else beforehand. And there's no right or wrong way to live life. And I, own, I I came to terms and I owned my decision. And I was like, I'm not the victim of this. This is what happened. And these are the reasons why I felt that way. So why not, do, why not not go gentle into that good night? Why not try every single avenue before I even attempt, attempt to come to that decision? And ever since I made that decision or that thought process, life has been great but it's also been shit but I've also never got into that thought process because every time I get super low and I get super depressed I'm like Tommy just put more effort in somewhere else and just push it a bit more and each time I get to that point that decision to kind of take my own life gets pushed further and further and further and further and further away so much so that I'm not going to say that I've never thought about it again or that I've never been in that place again but I've never been in a scenario where I've even where I've thought about how to do it whereas before I was like how to do it I know how to do it because if I jump into the sea I know I can't save myself if I cut my wrists I can text somebody quickly if I do this but if I jump into the sea I cannot save myself because I can't swim so that is a certain but I I feel like nothing is permanent anymore so despite me feeling bad I know that that feeling of sadness and that feeling of 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 grief and that feeling it's not permanent i will deal with it and i'll always have to deal with it 
but I'm just better at dealing with it now than what I was. So the reason why I want these podcasts like this is as much as I like the joke and I laugh, and this is probably the most serious podcast I'll ever do, is to express to you that nothing is permanent and the feelings you have now, whether they're good and you feel amazing now, it won't last. And that's and that's life. And whether it's terrible and it's shit and you feel like, what's the point anymore? That feeling will not last. Like the sun, good times will come up and night time will come where it's bad times. Um, bad analogy. But it's like a wave of emotion. Some days you'll feel on top of the world. Other days you might feel on the bottom. And that feeling might last for a week, might last for a day, might last for a year. But you will get through it. And the most important thing is you will get through it. And it's only through experiencing it. There's no point in me telling... Like, I just expressed how I felt and how I dealt with it. But how I dealt with it was was experiencing it. And I know what anxiety attack feels like, so I know how to deal with it. I'm still dealing with um, with the loss of my brother. I'm still dealing with the, uh, the feelings of depression, anxiety. And sometimes I get into my own bubble with work and the stress of work just goes. Sometimes I'll just sit in my bed for four hours and nap. But it's a, it's a horrible nap. But I know that's just me trying to cope with it. And I, I'll have to force myself out of that nap. I'll have to force myself out of that bubble. Um, but get in terms of getting over Chris, um, I'll never get over Chris. But I got great comfort in, um, in three nights. In three nights, my perception of grief changed. Um, it was a year, it was about, I think it was a year ago, Chris came to me in a dream. And he didn't say anything. And the dream was very vivid. And I can I still remember it today. But he just couldn't say anything to me. So I was like, okay. In the second night, this, this, the night straight afterwards, he came back to me in a dream. And he said to me, Tommy, I can't talk to you. If I talk to you, I'll never be able to talk to you again in a dream. And I was like, Chris, just please. I need this. I need this. Please just talk to me. And the night after, the third night, he came back to me in a dream. And we spoke for five hours. And he was introduced me to my granddad, and I'm, I don't like I, I don't have faith, I don't right, but this was the closest thing to religious I've ever felt. He came to my dream. I met my granddad. We didn't really talk, but I was talking to Chris, and we just laughed and we joked. And ever since then, I've had the most reassuring feeling about death I've ever had in my life. And I'm not afraid to die. I'm very much in terms of my own death and my own mortality, and. I get nervous over things like swimming and and heights. But if I die, I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with myself. And it's only through those dreams. And anyone else dealing with grief, those dreams might never happen to you. But take comfort in the fact that there is, whether it's an afterlife, I don't know, whether it's your own brain tricking you, that that person there is thinking about you. And there are there for you. And whatever happens to us at the end of life, Make sure that you don't go into it with any regrets. So do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light.